From points across California, you're listening to the Disneyland edition of the Diz Unplugged. Hello and welcome to the Diz Unplugged Disneyland edition for the week of February 28, 2013. I'm Michael Bowling and I'm joined by my special guest, Russell Flores. Russell Flores grew up about three and a half hours away from Disneyland and currently lives about seven hours away from Disneyland in Northern California. He's a Disneyland annual pass holder, Disney Vacation Club member, a Disneyana fan club member, a Walt Disney Family Museum member, and a D23 member. So, Russell, it sounds like you're a real big Disney fan. Just a little bit. Just a little. (laughs) Well, Russell is the author of the book Seen Unseen Disneyland, What You See at Disneyland But Never Really See. This book is filled with photos of details of Disneyland attractions, architecture, and objects that are in plain sight but that many of us don't take the time to notice as we rush off to the next attraction. And now, having been to Disneyland hundreds of times, I was really skeptical. And, uh, and, I mean, I had worked at Disneyland, and I thought, you know, there's nothing here I haven't seen. I learned something new on the very first page when I opened the book. So it's true that, Russell, you've captured things that we, we just walk by, no matter how many times we've been in the park. Um, how did your interest in Disney begin? Because, you know, we all cross the line when we go from being a casual visitor to Disneyland into a Disneyland fan. So was there an incident that sort of catapulted you over that line, or was it a gradual process? Um, it's probably more of a gradual process. I, I started going very young at about age four, uh, which I actually don't remember. Um, but then in my teenage years and high school, um, you know, I start, we would go two or three times a year and, you know, I just was a big fan of it and it, you know, just kept building and building. What, what's your primary Disney interest? Is it the theme parks, the films or what? Um, you know, I'm interested in a lot of, a lot of things, Disney, you know, the books, the movies, uh, you know, the, the theme parks, but obviously my, my true love is Disneyland. My, my first true love, I guess you'd say. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, now, I once read that 80% of people say they would like to write a book, but don't know how to get started. So at what point did your interest in the details of did it, Disneyland motivate you to begin writing a book? Well, when I first um, came up with the idea, I guess you could say, um, it, it started with a trash can. You know, they say, uh, you know, we remember that all of Disney started with a mouse. Well, this book started with a trash can. And, you know, I, I, I had the little seed planted because of this trash can, and I started looking and, and spent about two or three years kind of looking for additional details and researching uh, were there other books on topic like this. And, you know, there were books that were similar or maybe had a small section uh, but weren't really dedicated to this idea. And so after about three years of working on it, I started thinking, you know, this could actually be a real book. And that's when I started working on it. Um, that would have been about in 2008. So what, what was the process you went through? I mean, how did you get started when you realized this was going to be a book? Well, once once I decided to, to make a book, um, the first thing obviously was to gather enough material and um, cooperation of the materials 
Um, as you've seen in the book, the very back, it has a large bibliography, has a lot of notes um, where source material came from. You know, I had to gather all those pictures. Um, I, I had a little bit of experience with what was needed because I do some Photoshop work. So, you know, I knew how to convert the pictures into a, a printable format and, and that type of thing and started building it into a book format and, you know, getting the software to actually make a book, uh, which uh, for, for this particular book was I uh, used InDesign. And once I had it in book format, then, of course, then you got to find a publisher, uh, which I had no luck in finding a publisher. Um, that that kind of was a dead-end street for me. So then I started looking at self-publishing, which was um, fairly new to me. And started looking at companies. There, there's lots of companies out there. Um, I found one that seemed to, to be my corner. Um, I read all their material that they provided. Um, I kind of started down that street, but it, it didn't really work out for me. Um, so we went our separate ways. And about the same time, I met a, a gentleman named David Smith. Um, he's the author of In the Shadow of the Matterhorn, and he's co-author of the Hidden Mickey uh, book series. Uh, not to be confused with Dave Smith, the archivist. Um, and we got to talking, and it turned out that he published his own books and was interested in publishing my book after we'd talked for a bit. And uh, his uh, company, Synergy, actually uh, picked up my book and published it. So <laughs> that made things a lot simpler. <laughs> Good. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Now, um, you know, we, we've read... You know, many times how Disney's gone to extreme measures to protect their characters and copyright material. Did you have to take any special steps to obtain the legal rights to use the Disney copyrighted images with your photographs? Well, you know, there's a lot of discussion about that and whether you do or don't need to do that. It was not my intent to destroy any of the magic. It's not the intent of this book uh, to show anything Disney didn't want you to see. Um, all of those, you know, my, my intent was to increase your enjoyment. And, of course, I wanted to work with Disney in, in this project. I was fortunate enough uh, that um, the actual Dave Smith um, put me in touch with Disney Legal, and um, I submitted my material not for um, necessarily um, approval. Um, what, it, what it is is they do a copyright review, and then uh, once they uh, you get past that, they give you a letter saying they have no copyright concerns. So they're not necessarily giving you permission to print, but they're saying that there's nothing in the book that concerns them. So I went through that process. Um, uh, just to give the, the, the two disclaimers, obviously I just gave the one, which is this book is not a behind-the-scenes. It's not a tell-all. It's not things you're not meant to see. Um, the second disclaimer is this is not a, an official Disney publication. Um, their permission strictly is that they have no copyright concerns with the book. Um, there's been a, you know, I'm sure you've read a lot of the, the stuff on, on the Internet and books and things like that. My experience with them was, was fairly easygoing. It was very pleasant. Um, it was all done by mail and email. Um, you know, I sent my material in. We discussed it. Um, and they gave me my letter of copyright uh, approval, and that that was the end of it. Okay, good. Now, so, now some of my favorite things in the book uh, that you cover are a lot of it's well, well, one of them is things that we literally walk over. You know, like the brickwork, um, the footprints and hoof prints that are in Frontierland. I had no idea there were manhole covers 
in Disneyland. I mean, that was great, those photos. Um, you, you talk about the repurposed ticket booths that are there today. Um, the movie props that have been reused in attractions. Um, and and my, one of my favorites, the Roasty Toasty Popcorn characters. I had no idea that was their name. Um, do you want to tell our listeners what are the Roasty Toasty characters? Well, uh- all of the popcorn stands that are around the park, um, you know, they're all pretty much the same. But one thing that is different about each one is just above the little sales area where they have the popcorn, not where the popcorn is, but where they, they have the little tray where they, they do the money and that kind of stuff. There's a little character that's running a, a machine that's supposed to be, you know, like he's popping the popcorn and he's turning this little machine. And each one of those characters at each stand is different. And even throughout the year, they'll rotate those. Um, with different characters. So like on, on Main Street at Christmas time, you actually see a little Santa Claus and then the rest of the time it could be a clown or some other character that's in, in the little, uh, turning booth that, that's turning. Um, over at the Haunted Mansion, uh, most of the year they have like a little mortician that's, that's turning that little device. But at Halloween slash Christmas time, um, they have Oogie Boogie in there, uh, from uh, the movie and, so they're they're just that little detail that it's not just a stand that you walk up and they open it up and here's your popcorn and you go away. Again, they've added something to make it a little bit better, something to keep you kind of entertained, something you kind of go, oh, look at that. Yeah, I know. And every time I pa- pass one of those popcorn booths, I always look at that character just to see what they have. And yeah, and every single one is themed either to the land or the attraction that's nearby. So it is just that remarkable piece of detail that – you know, makes Disney special. Now, how did you discover the objects and and things that you put in your book? Did you purposefully look for them, or did you just happen to notice them? You know, it's it's a little bit of a lot of things. So, you know, the first one was uh, the trash can, as I mentioned before. And basically what happened was my family was on Thunder Mountain, and I was trying to catch up with them. I had stopped at the pin store or something over there, and... There was a lady throwing some garbage in the garbage can. And I've seen those garbage cans thousands of times, as I'm sure you have too. But I never really looked at them. And when she did that, I suddenly, it, it suddenly dawned on me that they had themed it to be, look like wood and to blend in, not so much that you can't find the trash cans, but just so they, be, they belong there in Frontierland, that they look like they belong there. And so I popped a quick picture. It's the first picture in the book. Um, it's completely unframed correctly. Part of the trash can's cut off. Um, but I felt afterwards when I decided to do a book that it was important enough to actually show the actual picture that got my, my idea going. And so for the rest of the day on that trip, um, I was going around taking pictures of trash cans in the different uh, lands. And it kind of got to be an inside joke with the family where, where every time I do it, my family, of course, knew nothing about what I was thinking or, or what I was doing. And so my daughter would say, Mom, he's doing it again. Because, you know, who stops and kneels down and takes a picture of a trash can? You know, it's got to be a nut. So that got me, that's what got me thinking about all these little details that are in there. And I had read a little bit before, and I've, of course, read a lot since about Disney and wanting the details in there and why he wanted the details in there. And so... The rest of the trip and the next several trips, obviously, over the next few years, I would take pictures of, of things um, 
you know, looking, I would specifically be looking. I would look in different directions, you know, like look backwards in queues and look up and look down. You know, of course, you mentioned the ground. Look down and, oh, look, the, yeah, the ground actually changes from land to land. And I found out later that Walt wanted all the senses involved um, with when you changed lands, including when you walked, you would feel a difference when you were walking. And so, you know, I started looking for those details. And then I would also look at stuff and go, gosh, it, you know, it kind of seems like there's something here, but I, I'm not really sure. So I'd take a picture and I would go, when I go back home, I would research and see if I could find, was there something there that was grabbing my attention, but I really wasn't aware of? And then, of course, I would also do research on the Internet at home and do reading in books and find things that, oh, I never knew that. And then on the next trip, I would have a list of things to take pictures of, um, such as, you know, the old rockets from the rocket ride, which are now used as um, display booths in, in uh, the Tomorrowland pin store. Um, you know, those are the original rockets that were used in, in the original rocket ride. And, you know, I could look at those hundreds of times and it's just uh, you know a sales booth but after reading it it's like oh wow that's that's so obvious that yeah okay that's cool that that's what that is and and get a picture so it's a little bit of looking and going back and research a lot of bit of research and then going and taking the pictures and you know over time i got enough material and and started actually putting it together in a book format yeah you know you're right that's exactly the reaction i had when i saw those photos of the old rocket jets in your book, and I looked at him and I said, "How obvious! Of course, that's what those are." But yeah, you would never just looking at them; it wouldn't dawn on you. So right. that's what, the, and that's what's great about the book is, is the, those little details that you point out. Um, I was wondering how patient your family is with your photography. Like I'm into gardening, and so. When I'm at a Disney park, I'm always taking photographs of the flower beds to get, you know, the photos of the flowers and the color combination. So my family will suddenly turn around and realize I'm not with them. And so my wife knows just to backtrack to the flower bed we just passed. And there I am. So how, how does your family cope with all the um, having to stop for the photos? Well, as stated in the dedication, the book actually wouldn't exist without them and their patience and their support. Um, not only from the patience of allowing me the time to do this, um, and, you know, sometimes having to be on my own, but also, you know, those times when you're just like, you know, this is so frustrating. Why am I even doing this? You know, those, those times where you're just like, you know, no one will ever buy this. And they're like, oh, no, this is really good, you know? Um, so they were very supportive in all this. And, and um, unfortunately, my family, when they realize I'm not with them, they don't go back and look for me. They just wait. And talk <laughs> <to them. Yeah. laughs> they don't want to walk back. <laughs> so now we have a lot of photographers who listen to the Diz. So what type of camera do you use? I use a Canon D20. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I bought it actually. You know, I had it for probably a year or two before I actually started doing this. And I bought it for taking pictures such as at the park and other trips and stuff. Um and it's such a great camera and such a great workhorse. You know, it takes a beating, you know, especially at theme parks. You know, you can really abuse your camera there. Um, I don't know if you watched my postings from the last last trip I took, um, but I was walking and my camera actually swung out and hit uh, one of the stands, the, the chains. And if it wasn't for the lens guard that I always place on mine, I always put like, you know, a skylight or, or a UV filter or something on there. That took the brunt of the hit 
cracked into a million pieces, but the lens was perfectly good and the rest of the camera was perfectly okay. You know, when you're on rides and stuff trying to get pictures, you know, it's getting wet and stuff like that. And it's just proven as a really good workhorse for me. I, I love it. I love the Canon. Good, good. Yeah, so it's better than those iPads people are carrying around now taking photographs with. They you know, my wife and I have actually talked about that several times. We just don't get that. You know, <laughs> it, I sort of get the phone, even though the phone's <laughs> not going to give you a really good picture. I mean, you, you can do a three, you know, a, a three by six or a four by six, pardon me, uh, print of those and, and they'll look fine. But if you try and blow them up, they're not going to look very good. But I just don't understand holding that big iPad. It, I, I mean, I, I realize it's a great viewfinder, but man, just holding that big old thing up and then the, the possibility of it getting broken. Oh, okay. iPad. What gets me is when you're you're there watching the fireworks and you start holding them over their head in order to in order to video the fireworks. I've decided I want to start a campaign of people bringing in slingshots. So we can just take those things out when they block our view. So, so I hope as a photographer I can count on your support. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually never seen that, but that would be really important because that just lights up everything after they've dimmed everything. Yeah. yeah. So um, now you mentioned that you, you do have an extensive list of references in your bibliography. What, what do you consider the five must-have reference books that every Disney fan should have in their library? Wow. You know, I... You know, I, I have a couple friends that are, are very good book collectors. I have I have found out what I thought was actually a pretty decent sized book collection. It's it's well over two hundred books. Um is actually pretty small compared to some of these guys that collect. So um but as far as books that I used a whole lot, um the Disneyland Encyclopedia was one that I used a whole lot, I know. I'm I'm looking at my books right now, so if I sound a little bit faded, um that that was a great book. Um, of course, Dave Smith's Disneyland A or Disney A to Z. Pardon me, not Disneyland. Um, that was an, another excellent reference I used. Um, a couple others that I used, like Disneyland Then, Now, and Forever. Um, wonderful books there with lots of great information. Um, the Disneyland um, uh, souvenir guides. Um, a lot of those are really good. I like to collect some of the old ones, and you kind of go through them, and, and you look at things, and you'll see something in one book, and then you look at another one, and it's gone, and then you realize that item is now someplace else, you know, and that's some of the stuff that got moved. Um, those are really good, excellent guides. Um, there was one other one I just thought of, and it – oh, the, the Imagineering guides are, are really good for information of that nature. I, I found those very, very helpful. Um, I think that's five, but I mean, I use so many books, um, a lot of Jeff Curdy's books. Um, I, I used a lot of those. Um, he writes a lot of good stuff. Um, but you know, you just kind of have to, have to look and see what, what your interest is. And obviously these are all more towards Disneyland. Um, Disney world obviously has several good books on it, uh, numerous good books on it, but, um, those are probably some of the highlights that I, I used as far as, as this particular um, uh, book that I did. Um, and I was just thinking uh, uh, Mr. Yee's books, a, lo a lot of his were very good that I liked um, mm -hmm. using his references. Yeah, yeah, those are a lot. When I was thinking about that question, I had a lot of those on my list too. And then Disneyland, The Nickel Tour by Bruce Gordon and David Mumford. 
Although you can't get that anymore. I would but, love but, to get that one. But, I almost got it two days ago on eBay, but at the last minute, it went way through the roof. So, uh, Yeah, yeah. It, it goes for hundreds of dollars now, but it's a fantastic book. Yeah, you I, can never I, get it. I have three or four of those that I, I'm watching. There's a couple of railroad books on, on the Disneyland Railroad that I'm watching, um, that I watch for, and and I, that that postcard, yes, I, I I want that book. I've heard so much about it. I've never actually even seen it in person. Yeah. Um, yeah but, for listeners who are unfamiliar with that book, it's it's a collection of the Disneyland postcards through the years, and it, it it tells the story of Disneyland Park. And then there's an excellent narration um, throughout the book as well, talking about the attractions and all that. I mean, it, it's really well done. So now. In your book, you also dispel um, several urban legends. Which Disneyland urban legend surprised you the most as being untrue in your research? Um, you know, the one that I always heard as a kid, and you know, I I thought it was true. And then once I started looking into it, and especially when I started looking at aerial photographs, is the spike at the center of Disneyland um, when you walk through the castle uh, from Main Street. Uh, from the plaza into Fantasyland, just after you exit, there's a, a gold or, or copper, well, it's more goldish color, spike in the ground that's well-worn. And, you know, everyone always said that was the center of Disneyland when it was built. And, you know, when, you, when you're when you not really thinking about the dimensions of the park, it's like, oh, that's really cool. That's, you know, that's cool. And, and so I, of course, have a picture of that spike. Um, and then I started doing research into it and found out that wasn't the center um, I found out what the spike was actually used for, um, and when I start looking at pictures of Disneyland from the air or maps of the of the park from the from you know top, and you look at where that spike is, it's clearly um, not in the center of the pike park. And even if you take today, um, if you add in the land, you know, like uh, Toontown and all that the expansion, it's still not really the center of the park. Uh, the, the day that the park opened, it would be more towards the Walt statue and a little bit towards uh, Frontierland would would probably, by my best estimate, um, obviously some surveyor will probably take me on and say, well, it's technically, but by, by just eyesight, that, that looks more like where the center of the park would have been on opening day. I've heard the same thing, that it's more towards the partner statue would right. have been the center of the park. At that Which time. makes sense because that was supposed to be the central hub. So right. that actually makes sense that that's where the center is. And, and just so for that person that's probably going, tell us tell us what it was really for. Um, there's actually a, a another spike on the other end of Main Street up near the, the train station. And those two spikes were to – they were used for the alignment of Main Street and to keep the Main Street train station and the castle in line with each other so that – you got that effect when you walked in and you saw the the castle or what people refer to as the weenie to draw you deeper in. You know, if it was off center, it wouldn't look right. So they they needed to have something to keep everything centered, including the street. Right, and actually, and you have a, a collection of photographs of the different survey markers that are around Disneyland, too, which again is really interesting to look at when you see the different designs. I mean, these aren't just flat markers, Disney actually puts designs on them. And, and, and I, some of them are numbered, so they, mm-hmm. they're actually referenced for future reference. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I was actually surprised because, again, I thought that I didn't realize that was a survey marker left over from construction, and then to find out there was a matching one on the other end of the street, and then as I'm walking around looking down, you know, I'm finding more and more markers, and it, it kind of makes sense that they put those in there for future reference so they can keep everything, you know, in the right place as they as they make changes. Now, what is your favorite attraction at Disneyland? Oh, hands down, it's Pirates of the Caribbean. That's that's my favorite overall attraction. If you want to pin me down to um, a roller coaster attraction, uh, then it's Space Mountain. But overall, of all the attractions, it's Pirates. Okay, and how come Pirates? You know, when I was a kid, of course, you know, being being an obnoxious boy and everything, you know, I like Pirates. I, I always loved the ride. We would ride it, you know, that I grew up in the age of tickets, as I believe you did too. And so, you know, when you'd first get your ticket book and you'd first get into Disneyland, you okay, I've got I've got four E tickets and I've got so many D tickets and okay, we're gonna ride Pirates. That was the first one. That was the first ticket that you know. And then you designate each ticket that you're gonna do. And then after you get everything planned out, then you go do that for the rest of the day. And so Pirates was always a priority with me. I I love that ride. Even to this day, I I we always go on it two or three times every trip. So, um, I, I my wife loves it. We we dress up as pirates during um, Halloween. Uh, we got to go to Disneyland actually on Halloween a, a couple years ago, and we both dressed as uh, I dressed as a pirate and she dressed as a pirate winch. And so we, I've just always enjoyed pirates and love just loved that ride. Yeah, that's my favorite attraction as well. I think those of us that grew up in the days of the ticket books, that was our introduction to sort of um I don't know like money management. Yep. Somehow. <laughs> because, especially if our parents said, this ticket book is all you've got. You know, we, they weren't going to let us spend another 50 cents for another e-ticket or something. So you really had to sit down and, and figure out how you were going to spend these, these precious tickets. And then, of course, with siblings, you'd wheel and deal and, and all that as well. Well, I was uh, an only child, and but I did grow up with tickets and... and my mom would take me down there. We'd go down, you know, pretty much every three-day holiday. We'd go down there, and you know, there's the day you drive down there. Then there's you know the second full day, and then there's the day you drive home. And that full day was always the Disneyland day. And and like I said, you know, I'd budget out exactly where I was going to spend those tickets. And you know, we we would you know sometimes you have to do them out of order because of the way the rides, you know, how busy they are. But yeah, that, that was definitely some budgeting. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think yeah, we learned how to how to budget ourselves there. And and you have a fantastic. You have a few hidden Mickeys in your book, not a lot, but you have a fantastic hidden Mickey that's on armor in Pirates of the Caribbean. And, and I I don't want to say where it is. We'll let folks figure it out or buy the book. And um, but I never knew that was there. So I'm definitely looking for that the next time I'm on the attraction. Um, if you could experience any attraction from the past, which one would it be? Uh, adventures through inner space. Yeah. Now, did you ever go on it? Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. I've been yeah. on it. I was on it several times. Um, you know, I always loved that ride, and I, I was shocked when they took it out. And uh, of course, I love Star Tours. It's a great ride. Um, but you know, you, you know, changes change, and you always miss what's what's missing now. You know, just like the People Mover and some of the other attractions, but yeah, I, I loved Adventures Through Inner Space. Yeah, I think that was one of the, the great attractions of Tomorrowland. 
Now, now an attraction story begins with a queue, and while Disney World, Disney's been investing in more interactive queues, but yet FastPass causes guests to frequently pass up these queues and miss the storytelling elements. Um, and, and a lot of those you've captured in the details in your book. But what's your opinion of FastPass and the coming FastPass Plus? You know, we, we've used FastPass. Um, I, I, you know, I know Disney just announced that they're actually going to start enforcing the times at Disneyland now, um, which is going to make it a little bit different dynamic. Um, we, we, you know, my, my wife was the fast pass queen. She would collect fast passes all day and then would use them all night when the park got busier. Um, now we're actually, you know, you're going to have to actually use them during your time periods and all that stuff, which, which is fine. We're good with that. that I have no problem with that. Um, I, I like the fast passes. Um, but, you know, obviously you can't get – if they go back to this new system, it's actually going to force people back into the, the regular line somewhat, and they're going to have to see a lot of these these de- details. And the details, part of the reason there, you know, is, again, because Disney wants the better experience, but also because, you know, it's entertaining to make that line go faster, even though it doesn't – not really going faster, but it goes faster in your mind. If if you have something to do, time flies faster, you know, a, a boiled pat uh, – correction – a boiled pot never boils type thing. So if you're just sitting there standing in the line, staring at the line, it never moves. But if if you're looking at something, you know, like in the Buzz Lightyear queue, and you're you're looking around at different things, and it's like, hey, I, wait, wait a minute, you know, the line's moving. I want to finish looking at this thing, and and well, you're gonna have to go in line again and take a look at it again. Makes it kind of hard to take some pictures sometimes. You got to be quick, but. <laughs> That's true. So now, um, so now, now that you're done with seen unseen Disneyland, are you working on any new projects? Yes, actually, um, when I decided to to stop and actually go with a book on this, when I still had a lot of material left over, um, probably almost close to three quarters of a book. So I've been flushing out additional material, and as long as the book continues to do well, I hope um, by early next year to have a second Disneyland book. I've also started doing research on uh, California Adventure and hope to do a California Adventure book um, either later next year or, or the early part of the following year to have another book out. If that continues to do well, I'll set my sights on Walt Disney World. Um, the, the part that's going to be a little more difficult for me is, is as you know, I grew up with Disneyland. Um, a lot of the stuff I, I know from experience and and you know, you can kind of look at it and go, oh, I remember seeing that before or, you know, things, you know, it, it's, it's all very familiar to me. Um, California Adventure, you know, has only been around, what, 10 years now approximately. And, um, it, you know, it's a newer park and it doesn't have the, the, as much rich history. Um, and I didn't grow up with it. You know, like when I, with Disneyland, <coughs> excuse me, um, you know, I, I grew up with it and I, I saw it a lot, whereas, when California Adventure opened, I was already here in Northern California, so I haven't seen it as much. Um, and so it's going to be more of a true research book where I'm going to have to walk around and see, do I see things that, that draw my interest and then go back and research them, do research and make a list and go down there and take pictures of the material down there. So that's that one could go a little slower than the two previous books because you know, of my more familiarity with, with actual Disneyland. And then, of course, Disney World, that's going to be a whole new ball game because unlike Disneyland where I can go down there, take a bunch of pictures, come home, and in six months I'm going to be going back, 
Disney World, you know, is a much more limited access. You know, I'm only going to get two or three trips back there to get enough material to do what I want to do. So those ones I'm really – I'm not going to be able to go and take a bunch of pictures and come home and see if there's something there. I'm going to really need to have a, a set list of items to go get pictures of before I get there to ensure that I have enough material. Yeah, it sounds like there'll be a lot of pre-research right. before going to Disney World. Yeah. Well, now, how can our Dizzers um, get a hold of your book, Seen Unseen Disneyland? Um, well, the quick way is obviously Amazon.com or, or Barnes and Noble. It's it's available on both of those. Um, unfortunately, if you're in the UK, the UK version sold out. Well, it's not UK version, but UK Amazon sold out, which is is kind of curious because they just started selling it on the 13th of this month, and I found out on um, Sunday that it was already sold out. So they're having to ship more books over there. Um, they, we had the same problem with American Amazon, um, but they've kind of got that all straightened out now, and they don't seem to be running out like they used to. Um, if you want an autographed copy, um, you can send me an email at seenunseen, that's S-E-E-N-U-N-S-E-E-N-D, as in David or Disneyland, at surewest.net. If you send me an email there, I can invoice you Um uh, once you're paid, then I, I'll autograph it the way you want it autographed and ship it to you. Um, I, I've been selling them recently for, for $15, and, and I'll continue to do that for a little while. Um, it's obviously cheaper on Amazon because they're a big corporation. They own a whole bunch of copies of my book and that, that type of stuff, but they're not autographed. So, you know, you have to pay a little bit more, about a buck seventy more than what Amazon's currently charging today. Um, but, you know, it's it's obviously autographed and personalized autograph if you want. First, a first edition autographed copy. I mean, that can only go up in value. Of course, yeah. <laughs> of course. And we'll, we'll have links to all of, all of this in our show notes as well. Yeah. And if you forget all that, just look for Seen Unseen Disney. Uh, I'm correction. Seen Unseen Disneyland on Facebook, and you can find contact information there too. So, is that also the best way Dizzers could get in contact with you? Uh, either Facebook? the email or the Facebook, yeah. Those, okay. those are the best ways to get a hold of me. Um, there, there's the public page on, of Seen Unseen Disneyland, and, and it has my postings. Um, like right now, if you if you go up right now, you'll see that it says that I'm doing an interview with Michael from Diz Unplugged. <laughs> so I, I post little things like that. I post things that interest me. Um, it, it's it's not meant, and, and I've had a couple people say, well, you know, your news feed is not that complete. It's not a news feed. If you want a news feed, there's a lot of podcasts such as, you know, excellent podcasts such as your own that will give you all those news feeds. Um, my my book is, uh, my mean book, my Facebook page is not only to promote my book, but also things that interest me or I think might interest other people um, that I'm friends with. So that, that's the purpose of that page. It's not a not a big news feed of everything that's going on you know, at the parks right now. Well, thank you very much, Russell, for um, joining us on the Diz Unplugged Disneyland edition. Um, Seen Unseen Disneyland adds to the Disney magic for a first-time visitor or a veteran annual pass holder. Um, This book leaves you impressed with the details um, Walt Disney and his Imagineers put into the park, even though most of us don't take the time to see them. So hopefully, um, reading Russell's book will inspire you to, you know, sort of um, take the time to look around at all of the details Walt put into his park. 
So thank you again um, for being on the Diz Unplugged. And that's going to do it for this segment of the Diz Unplugged. Thanks for listening and be magical. Be magical.